great are you, Lord, and your greatness is unsearchable. Thank you for giving us this opportunity to return praise out of hearts of gratitude and thankfulness for all that you are and all that you've done and all that you want to do in our lives. Help us to have our hearts pried open and exposed before you today. I hope this worship, Lord, has been pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. Second Corinthians chapter nine. <clears throat> the benefits of Christian generosity is what we're looking at this morning. Last week we talked about tithing, what tithing was. If you missed that message, you can go back and, and access it from the website or our podcast. Listen to that and get caught up. I told you we got a lot to get through in a short amount of time, and I want to uh, just kind of share something with you because sometimes as a pastor. Um, we have to realize our limits, and uh, we also have to realize the limits of the congregation. Uh, for one, is I could probably stand up here and preach for an hour and a half, but the truth is I probably wouldn't have many people on the last hour of uh, the message, and I understand that. I, I can appreciate that. I, I think I, I want to listen to myself all the time, but I know that doesn't always translate uh, to the other side of the, the pulpit. But in reality, let me just say this. Um, I really, really, really wanted to preach to you um, out of 2 Corinthians chapter 8 this morning. But I really need to preach out of 2 Corinthians chapter 9. So let me just encourage you this morning. I hope that you may take this challenge this week and go back and read 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and just pour over it all this week. I mean, use 2 Corinthians chapter 8 as, as maybe just a, a special time of Bible study and meditation and quiet time this week and really focus in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, really focus on the Macedonian example of giving, okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 8, read that this week because I think you're going to find several things. If you got your notebooks out, your pens handy, you might want to jot these down. Five things I want you to notice this week out of the Macedonian example of giving. The first is they gave because of grace. They gave because of grace. These are not on the screen. Number two, they gave despite awful conditions. They were not excused. They, they didn't excuse away not giving. They gave despite awful conditions. Number three, they gave freely and generously. Number four, they gave to God first, and then they gave to others. And number five, the final thing is they gave like Jesus. Use those five things as your, your personal prayer time, your meditation time, maybe some added Bible study time for you this week as you spend time pouring over 2 Corinthians chapter 8. But our sermon this morning is going to be out of 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And the reason why uh, chapter 9 is there is really because Paul has led up to it in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. So let me give you just a brief little synopsis, a historical account 
of where 2 Corinthians chapter 9 fits and why he's even speaking of it. The Apostle Paul was known to go around as he was, uh, as he was starting churches and seeing churches start and begin. He was known to go around and, and drum up financial support for these churches. And there were some poor Judean believers. And as the Apostle was going around uh, on this circuit between these churches, among churches, he would often let them know, hey, there are some poor brothers and sisters in this little Judean church um, that need some assistance. They're, they're really going through a rough time. And as the apostle would go around to these churches and communicate that, he found that many of the churches said, yes, we'll, we'll get on board. The Macedonian church is one of them. The Macedonian church wasn't even asked to help out with these Judean believers. They had just heard that the apostle was taking up a special offering to help some other believers. And the Macedonian believers said, yes, we, we want to be a part of that. We want to help out. We are excited about the possibility of helping out. And among the churches that helped out, there were several, but one of them was the Corinthian church. First Baptist Church of Corinth and their business meeting said, yes, we will take up a free will offering, a love offering, if you will, to help out our brothers and sisters. And the apostle is writing to them right now in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 to say this, it's been a year. You said you were going to help out with this church and we're getting ready to come and collect what you've been storing up. And we don't want you to be embarrassed when we come and you haven't given much or anything. We want you to be prepared for that. So the apostle is making an appeal to them to keep up with what they said when they were so eager and so zealous to be a part of this one-time love, faith offering to help out these poor believers in Judea. Um, he's going to them saying, all right, be prepared. Because when you were so excited to help out, I told other people that you were excited to help out. And so other churches got on board. And now it would be a real shame, I'm paraphrasing, it would be a real shame if I came to your church to take this offering and you guys were reaching in your pockets to throw something in before I went out the door. He is using 2 Corinthians chapter 9 as an opportunity to get them to live up to the commitment that they said they would make a year ago. He is, this is not the, this is not the, the, uh, the, the only lesson on giving. We talked about tithing last week. This is giving, which is what we consider, um, most New Testament churches uh, consider giving to be anything that is above and beyond the 10% that we give to the Lord first as a tithe. That's why you may hear some of our offering stewards come up, or our deacons, and as they pray for the offering, they may pray for our tithes and offerings, because an offering is, is different than a tithe. Tithe is 10%, offering is whatever is given above and beyond that 10%. And the apostle is talking to them, and in this, in this whole appeal, in this whole exhortation to be prepared for this meeting, to be prepared for this offering, he shows them, shares with them some benefits of Christian generosity. By the way, let me just say this. Many of you know that First Baptist Corinth was a pretty carnal place. It's well documented here in the New Testament. And I can't help but think that their giving had slowed because the carnality, the worldliness of the church was growing. I think there's probably a correlation between those two. The further they were getting away from their intimacy in the walk with the Lord, and the further they were getting away from the teachings of Christ, so their giving was going down too, to the point that it could have been embarrassing for the church and for the apostle. Notice in chapter 9, verse 6. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. 
And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he proposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Remember that verse for a minute. Not grudgingly or of necessity. And yet the apostle has just told them, I'm coming. I'm coming together this. He's reminding them, I'm coming to get it. You need to be prepared, but I don't want to force it out of your pockets. Verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, He has dispersed abroad, He has given to the poor, His righteousness endures forever. Now may He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seeds you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. While you are enriched in everything for all liberality or generosity or abundance, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. While through the proof of this ministry they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men. And by their prayer for you, who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you, Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. The apostle is definitely thanking them ahead of time for what he knows they're going to do, what he believes they're going to do. But I want you to think there are five things this morning. And as I read through verses 6 through 15, I find five different benefits for Christian generosity that he's telling them. I want you to give. This is the reason. But this is also something he is saying that you can think about and ponder as you're considering helping out these Judean believers, these poor Christians. And the first thing is in verses 6 through 10, the apostle is saying our needs, or to them, as a, Christian, as a Corinthian Christian, they could say giving to the cause of Christ will still meet our needs. Giving away, being generous, we can still have our needs met. Now that is a, an interesting thing to consider because if you do notice, um, he does say that he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. God is make, may, able to make all grace abound toward you that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. What he's saying is, you give and you're going to be taken care of. And that runs so opposite to common thinking. We think, well, if I give, then that means I'm out. That means it's a, it's a deficit on my part that I have given. And, and what could be held here for me to, exp to, to spend on my needs or my wants, what the Bible's telling me is that when I give, I actually still have my needs met. How? That runs so opposite to common thinking. It, it runs opposite to a worldly attitude to think that if I give generously, I'm still going to have my needs met. And let me tell you, apart from God, it would be craziness. Apart from God, it would be truly uh, foolish for us to think that the more I give, the more I actually get. But look at God's system. Assuming, assuming that our heart is right. Okay, it's all based off of that, that we have a, a heart that is not grudging, a heart that is, that is right with God, a heart that is moved with compassion, a heart that is full of gratitude, and like the Macedonians, a heart that is, has recognized and has been gripped by the grace of God. 
If all things are right with our heart and we give, how can we expect to have our needs met? The first example is the principle of the seed. The apostle says whoever sows sparingly is going to reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously or, or, or abundantly also reaps abundantly. Now think about this for a minute. It's March. St. Patty's Day is coming up. You guys are all going to be planting potatoes here pretty soon, as soon as it thaws, right? Getting ready to get our gardens. We got them tilled. We got the, you know, some of our gardens are already starting to be put in. Think about this for a minute. The principle of the seed. If I have a pound of seed, and I go out and I, and I want uh, corn. And I've got a pound of seed corn in my hand. If I go out and only, throw, and only sow out a quarter of a pound, I'm not going to get as much harvest as I will when I pour out a half a pound. If I, if I take the whole bag and sow all one pound of that seed corn, I can expect a bigger crop because I have sown more seed into the ground. The less seed I sow, the less I get back in return off of the investment of the seed. Now think about this. Remember, he's using the illustration of seed in reference to finances, in reference to money. That person that's sowing that seed, on some level, that's a step of faith. On some level, they're saying, I'm willing to part with this seed for the purpose that I'm sure it's going to do something. So ultimately, based off of the principle of the seed, that's true. In, in, human, in the world, that, that matches up with logic. The more seed I sow, the more fruit is going to be bore from that seed that I placed in the ground. It, it's an investment, if you think of it. It's, it's the fact that I'm willing to get rid of something on a short-term basis for a gain down the road. We had a great discussion on that about small group last week about an investment. Do we look at our giving as an investment? So the principle of the seed, the more we give, Nature agrees with this. The more we give, the more we get. But think about this. It's also about the provision of God. Not just this principle of the seed. Not just this thing that we see acted out in nature. But the, pro the provision of God. Notice the, the, the level, the extent at which the apostle is making his point. Verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Look at the expletives. All grace abound, always having all sufficiency, all things, that we may have an abundance for every good work. In just a few words, he literally covered everything <laughs> to say that when we are generous in our giving, we're going to meet needs because of God. He's able to do that. He is able to provide the seed to the sower. He is able to give us what we have. Now, we can look at it in two ways. One is there's the miraculous way. Consider God's people as they came out of Egypt and were out in the desert and they needed food. Do you remember what God did? He miraculously provided manna. Every day, He provided manna. They were only allowed to gather enough for every day unless the day fell on the Sabbath and then they could have enough so they didn't have to gather on the Sabbath. But God provided enough for them every day. 
They couldn't hoard it because if they hoarded it, it rotted. They had to get up, go gather it every day. Every day they gathered the manna was a reminder that God is faithful to provide, even miraculously. Maybe it's like Peter when they were asking him about the tribute money. They were asking Jesus about the paying of the taxes. And you remember Jesus told Peter, he said, go out, cast the hook out into the sea and, and, and pull out the first fish that you catch. Remember Peter did it? One of the great miracles. I'm a fisherman. I love that miracle. I've never yet found a coin in a fish's mouth. But the great thing about that story is Peter does exactly as Jesus says, and he pulls up, and there's enough for the tribute money or the tax for Jesus and Peter. Yes, God is able. He is able to provide miraculously. Some of you have bore witness to the fact that God has provided for you miraculously. You didn't see it coming. You didn't know how it was going to come. And at just the right moment, in just an amazing way, you were forced to step back and say, God, you're aware of my situation. God, you have the cattle on a thousand hills and you just brought a few of them right here to my need. Yes, miraculously. But it's also not so mysterious. Think about this for a moment as a family of believers. If you and I, every one of us in this family of believers, is sensitive to the needs of others, generous in our giving to meet those needs, what you can find is that among that family, when we're all participating, when we're all sensitive and aware of the needs of others, and loving and generous to help meet those needs? You know what? I believe that we can find our needs met by God through the hands of the person sitting right beside you in the church pew. Sitting right beside you or across the table from you in the Sunday school class. You see, God doesn't just work in mysterious ways. Sometimes He works in very practical ways. Some of you have benefited, I'm sure, from someone in your small group or someone in your your Bible study class or someone um, in this church, maybe on your pew or behind you or somewhere, knowing that you had a need and meeting that need, helping because they were generous. They found out you had a need. First, our needs are met. It doesn't seem to make sense on the surface, but after we understand God, after we understand His ability, after we understand our part playing, being able to contribute in that, it starts to make sense. Our needs are met when we are faithful and generous. Secondly, we find our purpose. Look at verse 11. Excuse me, verse 10. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness while you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. The word that sticks out to me in verse 11 is that while you are enriched in everything for all liberality. The word for literally means because. That's the purpose. That's the reason why God is enriching. That's the reason why God is continuing to enrich you and, and, and bless you. And it's for the purpose that you may, with all liberality, in the name of Jesus, motivated by His grace, with a right heart, you may give also to further His kingdom. This is the difference, friends, between a river and a reservoir. This is huge in how we view ourselves, how we view finances, and how we view things. Is my life intended in relation to finances or possessions? 
Is my life intended by God to be a reservoir where I am only collecting, where I have all of these different revenue streams simply coming in to fill up the reservoir that is Tickle Enterprise? No! Tickle Enterprise is not a real place, by the way. For those of you looking for my stock symbol, we're not intended to be reservoirs. We're intended to be rivers. That's exactly what God has intended us to be. That He would bless us. That the flow of His blessing which comes from His very throne would come down into our life and would move right on through us. That we could be truly, as the hymn says, a channel of blessing. We were never intended to be reservoirs. We were never intended to hoard and to try to collect and and have all of this come right into us. It was intended to come into us for the purpose of flowing out. Why have we been enriched? Why have we been blessed? For the purpose of living lives of generous, faithful giving for the cause of Christ. The apostle never says they can't do it. He says you haven't done it. You've got the means to do it. You're just not letting it flow through. Some often remember in the New Testament and Old Testament, there's a word that's used to describe a believer. Both Old and New Testament. And it's this word. It's a vessel. Vessel. What what does a vessel mean? Not like a blood vessel so much, but a vessel, both Old Testament and New Testament, more times than not, referenced a clay pot. Different heights, sometimes different purposes. But a majority of those clay pots or clay vases were used to collect water. Think about this. We, as believers, among other names or titles or illustrations, are illustrated as a vessel. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 4, one of his final words to one of his brothers, he said, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. As a vessel, he's saying. You know the great thing about that water pot? A water pot, a vessel, please hear this, a vessel never achieves its purpose until it's poured out. A vessel is not for the purpose of simply holding. It only achieves its purpose when what it has been filled with is emptied and then set back up and filled again it is still not achieved its purpose until it's dumped or until it's empty until its contents have been poured in and poured out and the cycle begins again the same is true in our life as believers the purpose of life for us is not to simply accumulate It's not simply to have this life of a reservoir where we get all of these things in here. It's not about who dies with the most toys. It's about living a life of giving. Being a vessel. Being an instrument, a tool that God can fill and dump out to meet needs of others in the name of His Son, Jesus. I am already being poured out as a drink offering, 2 Timothy 4.6. Third thing, it meets needs. The Christian that gives generously in the right heart is doubly blessed, both here and the hereafter. I love this part. He says in verse number 12, 
for the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saint, but is also abounding through many thanksgiving to God. The great thing about it is giving generously with a right heart for the purpose of glorifying Christ meets needs down here. The Christian is doubly blessed when their heart is right. We know that we will be blessed in the hereafter in eternity, but we also know that we get to be blessed here knowing that we were used by God in a way to help meet needs. Now, let me tell you, there is no shortage. There are no shortage of requests for your possessions and mine. There are people that make a living trying to get and trying to raise money. And I understand that. And there are some really good organizations. There are some really good groups out there that are doing a lot of good. There are groups that are doing a lot of good for puppies. There are. There are groups that are doing a lot of good uh, for, for folks that, that, that may have other struggles. But let me tell you this. Out of all of the groups that may be doing good things, it's imperative that we as believers are able to separate the good from the best. And I'll tell you, there is no enterprise that offers more important aid to a soul than the work of Jesus Christ through the local church, through a ministry that proclaims Jesus Christ. I'm not saying it's, it's not good for us to support someone that feeds the hungry. I'm not saying it's not important that we should not support. I'm not telling you not to support someone that clothes the naked or visits the fatherless. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that whatever we give to, whatever we choose to give above and beyond that 10%, it ought to be something that ought to have on it that I want this to preach the gospel. I want this use, not just to feed stomachs, but to provide life-giving message, the eternal message of Jesus Christ. I want them to be clothed with clothes. I do, but I want to give to a ministry that does not just clothe with clothes, but it clothes with righteousness. I want to give not just to those who are down and out, I want to give to those who are down and out who may hear the Gospel and know that they are loved by the King of kings and Lord of lords. I want to give. I choose to give. There are things I will not give to. Not because they're not good. It's because they do not have the gospel attached. And if I'm going to give, if I'm going to be a reservoir, nothing against puppies. I love puppies. But you know what? I want my gift to do the most good. And there's no enterprise outside of the work of the local church outside of a ministry that is based off of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it is their aim to promote Christ. If that's it, man, I'm on board. I'm on board. We're going to be having our building fund, a one-time offering coming up in April. You may say, well, we're just building a building. No, 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 no. If we were just building a building, it wouldn't be a part of it. We're building a building that houses the ministry and enables us to better preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's awesome to be a part of that. First, we, our needs are met. Second, we find our purpose as vessels poured out. Third, we meet, it meets needs. Fourth, it glorifies God. Verses 11 through 13, you'll see thanksgiving is found in verse 11. You see in verse 12, thanksgivings to God. Verse 13, glorify God. 
I want you to notice not just those two words, thanksgiving and the one word glorify, but I want you to notice the pronouns that are attached to them. He says in verse 11 that which causes thanksgiving through us. He's saying, Paul is saying me and others are giving thanks to God. Verse 12, through many thanksgiving to God. Meaning not just me and some others, or not just me and the Judeans, but me and, and, and other people beyond uh, this small group. And then he says in verse 13, while through the proof of this ministry they glorify God. Others. Others that Paul is not even a part of. Us. They. We. He's using words to describe that our giving glorifies and honors God. Fourth reason, our generous, faithful, grace-inspired giving glorifies and honors God. Really, if you think about it, there is nothing more Christian than giving. If you think about it. There is nothing more Christian than giving. Our gospel literally is built on the foundation that for God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. When you hear the gospel, what is it that God gave Himself for you? Nothing more inherently Christian than giving. And the fifth and final thing, Verse 13, while through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the ministry, for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men. Jesus told us in the Sermon on the Mount that where our treasure is, there will our heart be also. And the Apostle Paul now is telling them, you know what, you want to validate, you want to prove your ministry? It's the fifth and final thing it proves, it validates. He's saying it is proving your obedience. First thing, verse 13, it's proving your obedience. Secondly, it's proving your partnership in the gospel. How can we truly, how can we truly say that we believe in the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ if we're not willing to give to fund it? Do we really believe? William Carey was a pioneer missionary, Baptist pioneer missionary to India. I read that he gave almost a half a million dollars in his life to missions causes, to the cause of the missions. Now think about this. He died in 1863 and gave $499,000 to missions. You know how he did it? When he first went there, he was getting paid $250 a year when he first went to India to work. Every year he got a raise, Beyond his tithe, his 10%, he gave whatever he got in the raise to the cause of missions and continued to live on his base salary that came in. I stood, I was, I was worshiping with a group of college students one time. And he said, man, I, and this, the speaker got up and said, when you guys graduate college, he said, I want you to do well. He said, I want you to make a ton of money. I want you to make $100,000, $150,000 when you get out. But he said, I hope you'll be content living on forty. dollars thousand dollars wow what a challenge was presented if we love the gospel if we believe in the gospel are we supporting it with our time are we supporting it with our talents do we really believe in it because giving of our time our talents or our treasure 
validates. I have a vested interest in this. I believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I want you to notice the final thing. It's in chapter 8, verse 24. In Paul's appeal to the Corinthian believers, he says, chapter 8, verse 24, Therefore show to them, not as though he's asking them to be showy, he's saying of these poor believers, let them know, and before the churches, the proof of your love and of our boasting on your behalf. Giving generously, faithfully in the right heart does not just prove our obedience. It does not just validate our partnership in the gospel. But it proves our love. Do we really love the lost? If we love the lost, you know what we're going to do? We're going to share with them verbally the love of Jesus Christ. Do you know what? We're going to be willing to sacrifice some time because we have only a little here compared to the eternity they're about to face. And if I really believe that the gospel is the only hope for lost man, I'm not just going to give of my time and of my talent. I'm going to give of my treasure. I'm going to fund the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, Jesus was right. Where my treasure is, there my heart will be also. It would have been enough for God to simply tell us to give, but he doesn't. In his word, he tells us the benefits and reminds us of what we can expect. Let me ask you a real quick question. Do you, right where you are, do you, would you say that your heart is gripped by grace? Grace is what we have received that we are not worthy of. Mercy is not giving us what we do deserve. Grace is giving us what we don't deserve. And I want to ask you a quick question this morning. I don't care what you've put in the offering. I don't care what you folded up in an envelope. I just want to ask you, is what you give, is it reflective of where God truly stands, where you want him to stand in your life? We can't earn our way to heaven. We know that. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. But I want to ask you, are we truly giving as an act of worship to meet the needs, to share the gospel, to see souls saved for the sake of the kingdom of God? Today, you may hear me speaking about giving, and you may have never come to the personal realization that Jesus Christ gave first. He gave his son for you. And today I want to ask you, do you know Jesus Christ? You're never going to find the fulfillment in life by giving. You're never going to find the fulfillment in life by doing. You're going to find the fulfillment in life by being a child of God through a personal saving relationship with His Son, Jesus. If you don't know Jesus,